Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. On this very special episode, I am joined by writer, theatre maker and founder of Mothers and Others Who Make, whose new novel, No Season But the Summer, is published in April. Please welcome to this special culture episode of The Guilty Feminist, Matilda Liza. Woo! Uh, so, Matilda, we're so thrilled to have you back on the show. We had you on a live show. It was a very Thank memorable you. one. Uh, because I think you brought both your mother and your child. Exactly. Yeah, very um, apposite for the novel. I ended up on stage with my mother and uh, my daughter, her granddaughter, who up- fabulously upstaged me because at <laughs> the time all she used to say was baby's bum in a very cute voice, which is what she did right on cue. <laughs> when How I was trying was to ask a very serious question from the audience. How old um, was she then? She was one, one, and a, yeah. How old is she now? She's well, she was one, and she's now six. She's downstairs. Oh she's six, watching Netflix. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, well, I'm delighted yeah. to hear she's well. She's well. The listeners will want to know. There's many people who loved she that is, episode. She's good. She's good. She's right more than me. She's prime. I would say absolutely ripe for the guilty feminist in her future life. Because I've always oh, really? been a bit of a, um, yeah, like, you know, uh, she's already well ahead of me with the makeup and the, you know, she's just much more glamorous than I ever was. I was always <laughs> a bit of a, you know. <laughs> we look forward to having her on when she starts creating her own stuff. Um, exactly. In the meantime, you, you yeah. were talking to us uh, last time about mothers who make. Now, how do we say it now? It's M slash others. Well, that's a good question. it's mothers and others. So I'm, I'm in the process of... Um, uh, launching a new project where we are going to introduce a forward slash into our name. So it will be M slash 
others who make. How we vocalise that, because obviously that's um, the forward slash is a kind of secret line that slips in. Um, I don't yet know. Um, this is my first chance to talk about it. So, um, and it, the forward slash was actually suggested by Stella Duffy, who I think you know. Um, I the do. fabulous Stella, because uh, she comes under the others category. And I realised, so I've been leading Mothers Who Make for, ooh, about uh, nine years now. And it started out in response to my own need as a creative becoming a mother and going, oh, heck, how do I sustain my um, practice alongside my caring role when everybody's telling me that that's impossible? But to me, they feel really connected. And I've realised over the time of leading it, never intended it to be an international movement, but clearly... Um, I'm not alone in uh, this particular, I think it is a particular um, wave of feminism that we're facing, really, of having been kind of grown up, told we can have it all and then get to a certain point. Some of us choose or get to have kids and go, oh, shit, actually, it's not that easy to have it all. (laughs) How the hell do you do this? Um, uh, So Mothers Who Make is about addressing that question, but I'm fundamentally interested in diversifying and expanding the conversation because underneath it really is a much deeper conversation that doesn't just apply to the role of motherhood that is about care and you know we all whether we have kids or not we all hold caring roles and how that sits alongside creative practice is something that I think is really important to um hold space for because they're often seen as still there's a kind of narrative where you suffer for your art rather than um, actually being able to look after yourself and others and make stuff, you know. Yeah, so I'm introducing the idea of the forward slash for all sorts of reasons, but to to in, to to welcome the likes of Stella mm. and others into the into the conversation because um, uh, I'm very aware that mother is a really highly problematic identity and word that that excludes many people. Mm. I mean, also, I want to celebrate our mothers. I don't want to feel like we can't have something called Mothers Who Make that is for mothers. I think that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But it's sort of like there are many ways that we mother. I mean, I'm not a mother. I tried to have children and I couldn't. I don't mind mothers being together Mm. and having things that I don't have because I have other things (laughs) that mothers don't have, like time and not being woken up at four in the morning, but, uh, and all sorts of other things that has allowed me to be more creative in my own space. But I also do love the idea if it's, if it's something that you want to open the doors to, because there are people who are parents who wouldn't call themselves mothers. There are people who are stepmothers. There are people who are carers in other ways and who might go, Oh, I'm not a mother who makes, but I am someone who identifies with the same problems. And, those people may wish yeah. to, to join that group. So I think it is a lovely thing to extend it and to celebrate mothers, yeah. but also to enjoy the company and also the ideas and inspiration and sometimes the resources of, of others uh, who are drawn to that exactly group. So. so I'm excited about that. Uh, Matilda, we play a game at the top called I'm a Feminist But, even about yeah. culture episodes. So I'm going to say I'm a feminist but. I started reading your book and I'm a little bit jealous I'm a little bit jealous of how you've written a novel and you've finished it and you've done it really, really well. And so I am in 
embracing you. I am wanting to shine a light on you. I'm wanting to shout out from the rooftops, read Matilda's book. But also I'm going, bloody hell, she's got kids and she's finished her book. I'm still writing my book. I'm still writing my book. I'm a feminist, but in order to write my novel, I let my daughter play with Barbie. I let her watch. um, At the moment, she watches all sorts of kind of very girly um, slime making videos on YouTube, like endless. Girly slime making videos. Fluff. (laughs) Oh, I see. Wow. You are. Femme slime. Well, listen, hey, I think that's guilty feminism in 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 a nutshell. The femme, the femme and the slut, I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. listen, my mum wouldn't buy me a Barbie because yeah. she thought they would like, I guess she thought they were hypersexualized or something. So I had a Cindy, which was just, I don't know, she seemed a bit more wholesome in my mother's eyes, I think. But I always wanted a Barbie for that reason. So I think the best way to get a kid over Barbie is buy a Barbie. Also, hasn't Barbie, she's modernized, hasn't she, Barbie? She's more feminist now, hasn't she? I mean, I don't think she was at the vanguard of the sisterhood, I'll be honest, but she's she's well, caught up because she doesn't want to lose sales, I you reckon. Can get, um, it's quite interesting. You can get, um, obviously, you can now get, a, you know, a Barbie with different colored skin. You can get a Barbie in a wheelchair. Um, you can also get, um, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but basically all different it's a size. Barbie. It's all different sizes, where, body shapes. Where uh, she can actually move. That's the most revelatory thing. We've got one where her knees bend and her hips and like yoga Barbie, basically. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, listen, listen, yeah. it was fully worth it because this book is great. Uh, let's talk about it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
Code program. Could you tell us the title of the novel? It's No Season But the Summer. Now on the front, the reason I'm asking you to say the title, uh, on the front cover of the book that I, of the copy that mm-hmm. I have, which is an advanced reading copy, it says spring and summer are my mother's time, autumn and winter are my husband's time. What is left for me? Which is absolutely beautiful and really plays into this mothers slash others who make. Um, could you tell us, because this is based on a Greek legend, isn't it? It is. And I promise this book took me so long to write. So I, I actually conceived this book in the same week as I conceived my son. So it absolutely parallels my mothering journey. But that was 12 years ago. So I I started this book before Greek myths became so sexy and trendy. <laughs> so it's based on the Persephone Demeter myth, um, which is the Greek um, ancient Greek origin myth for the seasons, which says that Persephone was stolen by Hades. The classical original myth is often called the rape of Persephone, stolen by Hades, king of the underworld, dragged down underground against her will. And um, that was all very unfortunate. And her mother, Demeter, goddess of the harvests, was so distraught that she, you know, tore her hair out, wept. And as a result, the earth... Um, you know, life on earth began to perish. The crops died. And um, this was not very good. So basically, um, a deal was struck. Various There's various different versions. But um, in one version, a Hades, um, if was, you can come back out from the king of the dead, king the land of the dead, if you've not eaten any of the food of the dead. But um, Hades tricks Persephone into eating some pomegranate seeds. So it looks like things are scuppered, but then they figure out a deal where she's going to spend half the time under the ground, half the time above the ground. And when she's above the ground and with her mum, things are rosy and spring and summer happen. And then every year when she goes back down um, underground, her mother is distraught again and um, autumn and winter come about. That's the original myth. Um, But I um, put a different spin on it. What drew you to make this a novel? What about this myth made you think, I've got to write a novel about this? Because writing a novel is very difficult. And I think you've got to really, really want to do it. And finishing a novel is way harder than writing a novel. And finishing it well enough that it can be printed is extraordinary. (laughs) So what made you go, come on, this needs to be told? To be honest, as so many of the things I do are, including Mothers Who Make, we talked about, I did it by accident. So I'd never intended to write a novel didn't think I could. Um, but I've got an academic background. My parent I've come from a family of Oxford academics and then mm-hmm. um, ran away to join the circus um, and ended up working with a company called Improbable, um, who are improvisation based. And it took me a while to realise that actually I, I never thought I could write anything. And then I started applying what I'd learnt um, with Improbable to writing as opposed to what I'd learned academically. And then I discovered that I wanted to write um, and that what I was writing was not academic essays anymore, but was kind of fantastical. Um, and I was drawn to me this myth um, because um, I never intended to write a novel about the climate crisis. What a horrifically daunting idea that would be. Um, but I do know something about difficult mother-daughter relationships. <laughs> I was drawn to this myth partly because of that. And partly I am fascinated by myths and particularly origin myths. 
And if you take this origin myth seriously, because it's an origin myth for the seasons, it's still happening. You know, you can't take it seriously and not go, that's still going on. Um, mm. And I found that a really fascinating proposition to go, wow, if they, what, like, what happens if that's still, like, they're still stuck in that mother-daughter dynamic where she's... And then in the context of today, of course, that does end up being about the climate crisis. And I was fascinated also by the fact that in the original myth, it's also kind of spun as, oh, God, poor Demeter, you know, suffering this awful grief. Um, but actually, she's ravaging climate havoc on the world. That's what she's doing, essentially, in her. She initiates an ancient Greek climate crisis. Um, and I thought that was a, again, I kind of found that a fascinating the way that, you know, the classic myth is normally focused on the flowers, but actually the devastation that is caused by her wrath and grief. And then by, as you said, you quoted what's on the on the, the proof um, by the idea of Persephone, actually, you know, where's she in this? She gets shared. She gets shared between her mum and her husband. And I was interested in giving her a voice and a choice, I am, ultimately. I a voice and a choice. This is such a feminist retelling. I haven't finished the novel yet, but I've I've started it and it's absolutely beautifully written and I'm very excited to finish it. Would you be able to read a little bit of it for us? Sure. I'll read you the opening. It goes between the mother's and the daughter's voice and it starts with the daughter's. So the first uh, section is in Persephone's voice. It's dark down here. Not bright night dark, thick through and through dark. I scramble up tunnels, squirm through crevices and crouch on boulders in the blackness. I feel the fine grain of the limestone under my hands. Soon it will soften into soil and I will know that I am near the surface. No sound but my breath and the rush of the stream which I have followed against its downward flow since I left the river far below. I brace myself, arms out against the tunnel walls as the slope steepens, and press on. At last, it levels. I pause inside the hug of the rock. When I arrive, I will again become fair-haired, grey-eyed, tall, slight, an identity of colour, height, weight, which I left up in the light. Down here, I am as dark as stone. I never understood how luminous the night was as a child. I used to fear it, the dark, that was not truly dark. Yet now, for years, I have recoiled from the light on my return. Each spring, creation blooms, the birds sing, and I have migraines. No one was ever meant to travel this way, climbing against the gradient of ground and spirit. None of them considered this when the deal was made. I have often thought it would be best if I could stay down with the dead, but not this year. The river has been rising. This year, it was higher, wider, swifter than ever before. It burst its banks. It slapped and crept its way into my husband's cave. He had to rescue his tools, hammer, chisel, tongs. There is a sculpture of me with emerald eyes, one of many he has carved out of the limestone. She lies 
reclining between rocks near the entrance to his workshop. This year, the waters covered her. We had to wade past her to reach the ferrywoman. Water over our ankles, calves, knees, up to our thighs by the time we stood where the shoreline used to be. We waited. The boat was a speck of light out across the water, unsteady and distant as a star. It isn't safe to cross this year. You'll have to stay here, my husband said. He squeezed my hand. I should have pressed his hand back, soothed him, but I was surprised by the panic that flashed through me. For 9,000 years I have feared crossing that river. I've climbed up to the earth, bringing spring, but feeling like winter. I've dreaded the keen blue sky, the hopeful green. Most of all, I have dreaded the return of hunger. That was absolutely beautiful, Matilda. Cool. Uh, it's, it's made me want to listen to the audiobook, actually. Uh, have you read the audiobook yourself? Yeah, I haven't, haven't, haven't sorted that out yet. Haven't, uh, I'm, uh, I'm bidding for that. I've excellent. Well, I'm excited the, um, to do that. Yeah. April 13th, it hits shelves. You can pre-order it now. And if, if it's not in your local bookshop, you say, why aren't you stocking it? That would be because uh, <laughs> you're clearly not a good bookshop until you have it. Until you have Matilda Lizer's, and Lizer is spelled L-E-Y-S-E-R, no season but the summer. Matilda, I love this book and I love what you've done with uh, much in the spirit of Natalie Haynes. If people enjoy Natalie Haynes' books, I think they'll really enjoy this. Um, Yeah. Of updating this Greek legend and seeing how it pertains to now and making it relevant for now. Can I ask you, is there anything you came to say Mm -hmm. that you didn't get to say? We started talking about, I started this by talking about Mothers Who Make. I would say in some ways it's dedicated to my mum. I would say it's a kind of love letter to motherhood, but to care, something that I think could be, what I don't want it to come across at in a way, is that to see that motherhood is the, you know, that that highly problematic to feminism kind of idea that having a kid will sort you out you know Mm. um and I think what I hope the book is about is how difficult (laughs) how highly highly problematic it is to look after anybody you know to care for each other and yet also how really learning to do that is um the only thing that's going to save us (laughs) you know fairly big stuff yeah (laughs) What what a phenomenal challenge to embark on and how successfully you've done it. Stella Duffy has said of this book, Matilda Lizer's novel takes the eternal polarities, love and hate, life and death, summer and winter, possibility and impossibility, and brings them crashing together in a tumultuous story of gods living alongside humanity, mother, daughter, love and loss, and a glimmer of hope despite it all. Um, you've got some other incredible quotes here. Uh, So, yeah, everybody get out, order this book or go down to your local independent bookstore. Ideally, buy it from somebody who pays their tax if you're going to buy it online. And uh, we (laughs) hope that you sell lots and lots of copies and you get to write another book immediately. Thank you very much. And if anybody is interested in mothers and others who make, uh, check that out online as well. Any websites or socials where we should follow you, Matilda? Um, so I'm uh, Matilda in Motion on Twitter and Instagram, and 
I am shortly going to launch a, my own website very soon after the um, book is launched because I write a monthly blog that came out of leading mothers slash others who make um, that is very much on the themes of how you navigate this world through care and creativity. Please look out for that Check as well. Check that out. That'll Give be matildaliza.co.uk. Matildaliza, L-E-Y-S-E-R.co.uk. Check it all out. Thank you so much for joining us today on this culture episode of The Guilty Feminist, Matilda Liza. Yay. Thank you. Um, 